0: Hey, my name is Catherine Goyette on Twitter at cat underscore Goyette. And I'm from Central California, a uh, tech coach, and I am a member of the EdTech Army.
1: Welcome to the Sons of Technology Clubhouse. Ditch your fear at the door, take a risk, and enjoy the ride. With your hosts, Joe Marquez and Kyle Anderson.
2: welcome everybody thank you so much for joining us again in the sons of technology clubhouse we're excited today because we get to talk about favorite lessons lessons that we have created that we have done in class that really uh, inspired our students, really engaged our students, really um, pushed our students to be the creators of the content um, rather than just having them um, just sit there and be you know, content with listening or writing a paper. So we're gonna be looking at some of the things that we have come across and we have done or we have seen that really falls into the category of, wow, that was an amazing lesson. Um, and we have a lot of great educators on or in our clubhouse today around our table. Uh, first off, my name is Joe Marquez. Um, I'm a member of the EdTech Army, um, and I'm an educator out of the Central Valley of California, and you can follow me on the Twitterverse at JoeMarquez70. And my partner in crime, Kyle, go ahead, introduce yourself, please.
1: Hello, everyone. Kyle Anderson from Reno, Carson City in northern Nevada, special educator in Carson City, and I am also a soldier in the EdTech Army. You can find me on Twitter at AndersonEdTech, and my blog, EdTech
2: and next we have Paul Paul you're here for the first time today we're so excited that you're around the table with us today as well can you please introduce yourself yeah
0: absolutely well, glad to be here my name is Paul Gordon I am a fifth grade teacher in Palm Springs California you can find me on Twitter at teach the tech
2: and Jesus Jesus you're back again in the uh, in the EdTech army uh, go ahead and introduce yourself
3: uh, I'm Jesus worth I'm a sixth grade teacher in uh, calexico california um you can find me on twitter at uh Jesus h uh, 1979 um paul kind of downplayed himself we also have a, a website um easy as one two three d.org is it org,
0: paul? It is org.
3: org. okay uh-huh. and uh there's a lot of 3d print resources there um
2: so yeah that's me excellent and you know i've, I've been to that that website and i've actually pushed teachers to that website because because it's an uh, it's an amazing uh, source of information and resources, and ho- I'm I'm hoping uh, that you're going to be talking about uh, some of your 3D printing lessons today. That's I mean that's my fingers are crossed because um, that is uh, some amazing things that you two do on that site. Um, and I, and and for the listeners, if if you are listening to these introductions and you heard us say we're members of the EdTech Army, basically what that means is you know we are part of a a a revolution trying to change what education can be for students. And we always say that as an individual, you can change lives. Uh, but as an army, um, you, can, you can completely change um, the way things are moving. And so we of the EdTech Army really love to band together to inspire and, and create innovative ideas, innovative pro- progresses. and and just ways that we can get students really involved uh, and eager to learn within the classroom. So if you want to be a member of the EdTech Army, make sure you look in the show notes for our Flipgrid so that you can introduce yourself and show that you are part of that EdTech Army. Um, Now, Today we are going to be talking about great lessons, and it's a great time of year to do that because a lot of teachers are going back to school, um, either this coming week, this past week, or um, one previous week before. And so, teachers are, you know, getting in the flow of things and they're doing the introductory like lessons with their kids and getting to know you lessons. But pretty soon they're going to be wanting to actually get into the nitty gritty of their actual lessons, and we want to showcase some of the things that we have done. That has really gotten kids involved and begging for more of these types of lessons. And I, I, I can tell you that there's no better educators uh, to share um, some amazing lessons than the uh, group of teachers we have around the table right now. And if you can if you can see in my voice, I am super excited uh, because uh, you know I, I've heard of the things that Kyle has done um, and, and I've seen him present, and they are amazing. I've seen the things that Jesus has done. If if you follow Jesus on Twitter, you're constantly seeing the things that he's getting ready for for his students and the things that he's 3D printing. I mean, if you haven't seen um, his giant fidget spinner, uh, you haven't seen one uh, at all. So take a look at that. But but Jesus, I really want to start with you because a lot of times 3D printing is thought of as a one-off activity. Um, or it's placed into a room and the teacher uses it more than the students. So I am just really interested to see uh, what kind of immersive lesson you have created uh, that involves that 3D printing process.
3: So for me, the the thing I always talk about is it's three steps for me, for the kids to get into 3D printing. It's They receive something that's 3D printed, especially down here. There's not a lot of kids that have exposure to it. Um, So the first day they come in, they have their nameplates. They all have different fonts. Um, So they're not all alike. Then they pick something, put it to print, any item they can find, and then it goes into design. And then from there, they can use it with project-based learning, Um, specifically like with the board game project they do and Kane's Arcade. Um, But the one that I'm looking forward to this year is the one with prosthetic hands. Um, they will, de- not design, but the designs already exist online, but they'll 3D print like completely them. They run the machines. They figure out the size, um, print it, remove it. If it fails, you know, put it again um, and then put it together with hardware and wiring. And I have one that I take with me wherever I go just to show it off. And that was put together by a group of uh, fifth graders, about three or four, no, it was four of them for uh, fifth graders. Um, but besides that, just anything that they do in regards to engineering and and uh, just design theory, it, it, that's my go-to, 3D printing. But like my favorite lesson, it's actually a series of lessons. Um, and it has to do big time with engagement and progression. And I know I always all 3D print, 3D print, but the one that I try to share more, I didn't do as much last year, but this year, I'm going to really like expose what they're doing. It's um, four games that they make, which I mentioned, Kane's Arcade. They go in. They see the video. Then I surprise them with, hey, well, guess what? We're going to do that. And by then, they've already had some exposure to 3D printing. So if they need a 3D print pieces, coins, anything that they can think of, they start to use it. Um, and then they reflect on it. So there's the academic piece. But, I mean, the engineering part is academic, the measuring, the coloring, the painting, all that's, I mean, I could, you could argue it's academic also. So, from there, they go to board game. For the board game one, they have to write a narrative as a team, which if you've tried to write something like that with two or three other people, and you assign one person paragraph one, and you're doing paragraph three, and somebody else is paragraph five, when you go to read it, it's like five different stories. It's like doesn't meld together. So, it's more of a challenge for them to you know, talk to each other and get that story right. And that's like the backstory to their board game, kind of like those high-end ones, like um, Sellers of Catan. And then they have to design the board game out of cardboard, like a prototype, finish it on a piece of wood, like nice piece of wood from Lowe's. But then they have to come in and pitch it to me as a business. So they have to come dressed up. They have all their materials. I act like I'm some kind of person that runs like a game company. So that's their second game. That's the progression. Um, and then I tell them yay or nay. And not this past year, but the previous year, because this past year, I couldn't do it how I wanted. But um, when I did do it like that, I had a student forget her materials and her car, her uh, mom's car. And I had to say, you know, I can't fund your game. Everybody's watching this interview happen. And afterwards, she broke down. She's like, I'm not going to get to finish the project. I'm like, no, 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 no. Everybody gets to do it. But <laughs> in the real world, that could cost you this job. Yep. and she's like, "I'm I'm never gonna not be ready anymore," she said, mm-hmm. and she was on point after that. So that was, I I felt like that was a huge lesson for her. And then the last game they do is like the big one. They have to write a narrative. They got to draw the character in an eight bit style on graph paper. They do a uh, perler bead art piece of art that gets hung up at the wall with along with the story and the drawing. Um, then they have to do storyboarding um the storyboarding part all that all these things that they're doing always I always try to tie them back to careers that they could have especially the storyboarding one because you have a lot of kids that draw probably think well you know what am I going to be when I grow up no there's no jobs for drawing when in fact there's tons of jobs I mean we all have used someone that draws for like logos or you know for our stickers everybody has their stickers um so after they do that they present the story and then they make a video game and they use Bloxels Mm. Um, but when you guys had mentioned before, like what's our favorite or what's going to be like our ultimate lesson, I'm going to flip it and change it um, because this year my students are going to have access to MacBooks. There's going to be a classroom set of MacBooks. So there's a software that I've been like just trying to use, but it's not on Chromebooks. Um, I've talked to Paul about it. I might have mentioned it before. It's called um, Nest Maker. And the kids can actually design an old school 8-bit Nintendo game. Oh, very like nice. The start screen, you know, it uses the, it, well, this is what happens. You design it, music you can make a side scroller like Mario, or, or, you know, top down view one like Zelda, a shooter like Gradius. Um, when it's done, you can get a flasher and an empty cart, flash it, and then you can throw it in a Nintendo, an actual Nintendo and play it. So what I want to do is. The whole process, take out Bloxels, and the kids do that. And you can buy these. um, Now that the pan ran out, people can make clone systems of the old Nintendo. You can get them for like 10 bucks, And just have a bunch of systems all around, and parents come in and play the games, and they see all the artwork and the writing that went into the creation of this game. And it's a full, hashed-out game. Bloxels is awesome, but there's no way to, like, oh, here's the ending to my game, and you get, like, an ending screen or a message. Um, It kind of just loops around which is not bad. It's awesome. The kids really get into it. But for me, that one was like the one I'm like, man, I really want to be able to do that. And this year I want to say, I hope, but in my mind, I'm like, no, we're going to do that. We have to do that. And then the kids take home the cartridge. And as they get older, they see that cartridge. Hopefully they're like, you know what? I really love doing that. I'm going to keep doing something like that. So that's my lesson that I really want to do.
2: Now, I know that's a great lesson because now I'm thinking about I want to buy that, and I want to do that myself just just because I want to <laughs> reminisce about the old Nintendos. And so hey uh, we're we're gonna want you to um, make sure that you you know completely document that process because we want to see yeah. that actually happen. Um, and then also, if you can shoot some links to us, for, you know, where where can you buy the cartridges? Where can you buy those clone systems? Um, what's the name of that um, application again? So just so the listeners can be like, if they're like, I want to do that, they have all that that uh, those items at their fingertips. So And also, so I have it at my fingertips so I can make <laughs> one of those as well. Um, because I, I, I love that. I mean, I used to use a program called uh, GameStar Mechanic. Um, and, you know, it, it really focused on the writing process and creating a good story for your game. And then you had to slowly pass levels to learn all the different uh, uh, features of of the game. And then you got to create one and it was a side scroller or it could be a Zelda top down. Um, But, you know, being able to make it and putting it onto a cartridge, that's next level. That's next level, yeah. and having the kids be able to keep the cartridge—I mean, that's that's amazing. I mean, and these are these are elementary students, right? And so being able it's to great. go into junior high and say I made a video game and here it is—that's amazing.
3: Yeah, it's it's. I mean, I'll, I'll send you guys the link, and and the site has where to download it, uh, purchase an activation code. I think it's like thirty bucks. Um, it's not expensive. The sof- the software, and then um, there's a link right there. Right next to it says buy, you know, cartridges and hardware. Um, and it'll get you. That's 36 bucks. I just saw it right now. Um,
2: awesome.
3: It's, it's you know what? I mean, you watch videos. They, they have people making games all the time. They do their little award shows. It's it's crazy. And they have tons of tutorials. Tons. And, yeah, it's something that's, it's. I think it would be, it's not as easy to use as blocks. Like, oh, I just draw a character. It's a little more complicated. But then the payoff is huge you know cartridge and now that you know earlier we were you know before we started we we're talking about stickers um what if we have them draw their own label and then we get labels made for them you no, take that's,
2: even further that's great i i used to do that in my uh my technology class i bought one of those uh cricket uh vinyl cutters those are awesome. and the students would um design uh design their uh product and then they would go on and, and use the uh svg creator uh to turn into a stencil and then we would then upload it to the uh C- cricket program and the kids were able to print out their own vinyl vinyl sticker um and so that that was great the kids were able to put it on their laptop and, and actually showcase what they did in class but your idea of being able to make a sticker for the game that they made that's 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 awesome, right? And put it right on top of the cartridge. Um, yeah, that's just that personalization process is key to learning, and and then ownership, right? Like they actually made something, and they now own it, and they own they are the only ones who own that copy of that game because they made it. And that's yeah. that's that's awesome. That's amazing. And sh- shout out to John cripple because he's always.
3: I mean, the first time I really talked to him, he always talked to me about engagement and progression, and those two things always stuck in my head and the talk we had was you know you can have all this content that they need to learn but it's like you know what if they're not going to be receptive to it forget it they're not going to let it sink in they're not going to learn so how do we get them to buy in how do we you know go up there and dance and make a show and all right i got them engaged here's the academic part let me just slip it in there um but that's why i'm a big you know believer in project-based learning because the kids are doing something, and along the way, they're learning, and sometimes they come back and say, you know what? We did writing. I didn't even feel like I was writing. I felt like I was just telling my story. I'm doing this because I want to get to that part where I make the game, or they're like, you know what? I thought that was going to be my favorite part, but I loved drawing. I don't draw. I don't like to. I didn't really enjoy it before. Now I did because I did so much drawing during this, especially like the storyboarding part. So uh, shout outs to him because uh that's that's where i get a lot of my like when I started less I'm like okay how am I gonna get him engaged
2: and what progression am I going to use here no that's that's great and and you know yeah john john is uh inspiration to to many of us and um you know he's he he is like the the original innovator to a lot of us and um you know his his uh Edu protocols uh, which is second book number number two is coming out very soon um they they are allowing tech hesitant teachers a framework to finally start using technology in the class in a beneficial and efficient way um and so that engagement portion is a huge part of that edu protocols and so is the creation portion and so you're you're right on with with what you're doing with your lesson hey and you're right on uh, to give shout outs to to you know the big man carippo uh because um you know that's that's his whole whole point and so um i i appreciate you bringing that up and i appreciate your lesson and i appreciate you giving me an idea of uh something i'm gonna you know uh, make for my daughter's next birthday her own her own video actually make have her make it for her next birthday because that's great so i'm gonna go and, and buy those things right away um you know you know the, the the video game creation is is something that can be done in all classes Um, I mean, imagine if you're in history and you're recreating a battle of the Revolutionary War, but in a video game, right? And the kids get to make the characters and all that stuff. So if you're out there listening going, that's great, but how am I going to incorporate that into our classroom? Please contact us. Please contact Jesus, because we can connect it to pretty much any content. Um, because it's all—it's—it's—it's it's, it's all about the learning outcomes, right? It's like it's not how you get there. It's what did you learn? And so, if you're just wanting them to learn about the Revolutionary War, key aspects of it, people who were part of it, what was the outcomes? You can get all that through a video game if you do it correctly and the story's right. So, um, you know, hopefully, we we have teachers out right there going, "Oh, yeah, that's a great idea." Um, so, ho- hey, 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 Sue, hopefully, you are inspiring a lot of future gamer. Uh, de- game developers out there. Oh, and, and by the way, I wanted to ask you: Did has any of the uh, the um, the board games that your students created, are in, did any of them like step out to you like, wow, that actually can be a, a, a next level game? And then you went on and, and put it on, um, not Donors Choose, but um, um, what's the, what's the site where you go and try to get funding for for something?
3: Is it like. Um, um... Ah, uh, what's it called not not go fund me what's the other one kickstarter
2: kickstarter yeah Have, has any of that progressed no, i that, never that thought of that that could be amazing if, if there's like the one you're like that could actually work and then you you and the student come together and 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 put it on kickstarter and say hey this is a, a student made game from this project and it, this was the winner please fund our kickstarter so we can I make a hundred of these That would be amazing. That would be amazing.
3: They had the idea to do it on wood because when we did it on cardboard, after they painted it, it would kind of warp up because the paint would dry and pull the cardboard like kind of like bowl shaped. Mm -hmm. So they're like, oh, is there any old wood in the back? I'm like, it's a school, but I don't think we have like pieces of wood like that. I'm like, I'll go to Lowe's. Well, (laughs) it's funny because their wood cutting machine was gone. So I was like, well, let me get a big piece of plywood and have them chop it up in these sizes. They're like, all we have are the ones that are pre-cut. Man, they were way more expensive pre-cut. So I was like, <laughs> oh, I'm like, I better get them because I got these kids ready to work today. So I, I, I did that. And actually that year, they took those board games and submitted two of them to our like yearly art festival and they got these special prizes for it. And they were super well done, hand painted, um, super clean looking, had 3D printed parts. Those were like sanded down, made it to look nicer. And a couple of the games were fun, but when I test out their games, they're always like quick to be like, I'm done, test it out. And if it's a like a Bloxos game, I just look and if I can walk left, fall off and kill myself, I do. And it, it's something I've shared with Paul before. I, I do it and tell him, well, your game's broken. They're like, well, you're not supposed to walk left. I'm like, yeah, but you didn't say so. You don't have a wall there to stop me as a person. I would just start dying left and right because you're not guiding me through the game that's what you need to do when you design a game you got to take them there without them knowing you're taking them there
2: yeah dying literally left and right yeah (laughs) No, that's, that's, that's great. And, and, and I'm going to steal that idea
3: from you about Kickstarter. I'm going to try to do something where we can maybe make a few more and maybe sell them there at the school or, yes. or do something with them. Yeah.
2: School, school branded. I mean, and, 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 you know, that's, this is something that, that, that Kyle and I have talked about and that's, that's branding. Right. And, and we talked about this early on in our episodes. It's about how can you brand you not, I don't mean like, you know, brand like a, you know, just you. But how can you create a brand for your school, brand for your district, something that's different that gains people's attention, so that that you can dictate how your school is thought of um, from the inside, instead of having somebody from the outside dictate how how to look at your school. And so to have something like that that you can you know go to the newspaper or the local news channel, and say, hey, look what we're doing in our classroom. I don't think anybody's doing this. Come out and watch. You know, so that feel-good story can happen, and they can follow the progress. Like, oh, this one got chose one, and this one's on Kickstarter, and this one got funded. I mean, amazing how that community can come together around this lesson. Going, our kids are game makers, and look, we actually have a physical product that we can sell in our school. That's amazing, and so that that is in my in my interpretation that is good branding of education, uh, student created, student led. Um, and then just with, with a little bit of teacher help, get it actually funded to be produced. I think that's that's amazing. Now,
3: now you got me thinking because it the school the district I'm at is a K through 12 unified. Now I'm thinking, well, what if the kids make it, you know, get it ready to go, but before they start painting, maybe have like the high school wood shop cut it into like fourths and then put those hinges, kind of like the ones that you see, like so the game can be folded up and put uh-huh. in a box. Now I'm thinking about that.
2: Yeah, so. and you know, and you know, the 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 kids do all the designs and everything, but you know, all all these inventors they create these designs, and when it finally goes to get published, they have some graphics artists go over and, and you know just make it a little bit better. That can happen as well in the high school. If there's any graphic wow. design department, yeah. they can take the students' ideas, reimagine it for a more polished version. And now you have all of these different different um, grade levels adding to this game that the school can be proud of, right? And so. Uh, if this happens, I want to see it. I want to well, see it. And, Joe, and, and, as as usual, I'm
3: gonna steal your idea and take full credit. Just so you know. Hey,
2: <laughs> <laughs> sh- sharing sharing is caring. You know, I, I always say when I go and present somewhere, I go, "Hey, you know what? I don't really use this slide deck. I only have this slide deck for for you to look at later." I go, and if you want to take my slide deck, remove my name and put your name, and then showcase it to your teachers. If that's gonna get them to do it more, do it. Right. So it's not about you know, it's not about whose idea is it to begin with. It's how many people can you get to use your idea? That's, that's the key to it.
3: Yeah, you know I'm going to give you a shout out, brother.
2: Well, yeah, I mean, <laughs> if, if the game ends up making a million dollars, if you could fund my list, that would be great. Oh. <laughs> I'm going to take
3: our, uh, let's see, one, two, three, three lists. Paul, you're included, okay? Uh,
0: yeah. <laughs> hey, I, I made a game back in my uh, postgraduate work. And it's on a website called the Game Crafter. So you can actually just make games right there and say, "Hey, this is what I have. These are the cards that I need," and they all print it up, and you can buy it directly from that website. So some something to think about rather than going to uh, like a, like uh to try and get it funded. Well, you can actually go right and say, "Hey, let's get it published."
2: Hey, well, Paul, I-, I like I like that idea. idea. I actually saw somebody who did that. Um, they they created a game um, based off of cards against humanity. Um, but it's, it's the office edition. And so all the questions are about office characters and office things oh. you know, from, from the show, the office. So I love that idea because the kids are the creators and then you have this company actually publish it so that they can be purchased, you know, one at a time. So you're, you don't have to be, you know, be, be that part of the distribution. So I like that idea.
0: It's a weird flex on this, but yeah, I, I did that as well in my graduate work of a Cards Against Humanity, but I did it for teacher edition. So it's called Teaching Bad Apples.
2: <laughs> I like it.
0: So that's on the Game Crafter. I did that in like 2016 with, with a couple of my college friends. So if you want to take a look at that, that is quite hysterical.
3: Uh is that game is that game anywhere online, Paul? The one you made?
0: Yeah, I'll I'll share so we can put in the stream links, but it's on the game crafter right now and it's called Teaching Bad Apples.
2: Well I I think we now have a nightly activity at Fall Q which is coming up in October. I think we may have to all play that game. Sounds good.
0: And we got to make it a midnight pizza run. <laughs> yeah. That that's what I've been pushing is that midnight pizza pedagogy Talk
2: Uh, Well, I mean, I I love the creative juices that are flowing right now, and and I'm I'm excited, Jesus, to see what happens uh, in the school year um, with your idea and then running with it. Um, But let's switch gears a little bit um, and and let Paul talk a little bit about um, a lesson that he has done or has planned um, that is um, really going to change the way his kids look at education. So, Paul, I'd love to hear what you have for us.
0: Sure, yeah. So I've been – that was great, Jesus. I don't know if I can top that one, so maybe we should just end the show now. Good luck. <laughs> uh, no, but what I've been experimenting, and I really want to be able to get uh, game creation, but not just game creation, but I want to have the kids playing games in class. So I've been working hard trying to get Fortnite creative into my classroom a lot more. And what I've been doing recently is that I've been going to a website called Birdseed, B Y R. D S-E-E-D. And it's a guy that has a whole bunch of great teacher resources. And I learned this from Kimberly Vogie. She's phenomenal. Um, and she showed us that you can, he has an emoji prompt on there. So it's uh he took out all the non-school related emojis or appropriate emojis. And you just hit randomize emoji and it gives you and then and then and then. And you can have the students make stories based on only seeing the emojis. So what I want to try and do more of and perfect is that these kids, I give them an emoji to start their story. And once they start their story, I give them two minutes to write about whatever they want to write based on that emoji. And then I'm going to press and then where they'll get the next emoji. And they have to create that, they have to, tap uh pull that emoji and create that and add that to the story so i want to do that for 10 minutes so it's like a quick write where the kids are writing in their journals they're just going and i'm making them a very narrative if they want to do informational i really don't care but i just want the students to be able to start writing we do that for five emojis so they can actually have a full-on uh, story going right there and then from that i want them to be able to storyboard and plan out how they're going to be able to create that story in real life some some of the kids are I have I'm fortunate enough to have one gaming PC in my classroom and I have them go on Fortnite Creative and what I've been trying to do is have them go in do 10 minutes on Fortnite Creative and build their story. So they're gonna build their story on what they just wrote about and from there I have a recording device where they're going to record their story so they can put it all together all in one. I really wanted to try and hit the arts with, and yeah, I'm going to add that S into arts and steam because of the whole uh, music and uh, (laughs) that conversation that I had a couple days ago, uh, visual and performing arts. They all need to be a part of that. So I want to be able to say, hey, you know what? You just recorded your, your story and then put it into a book or podcast or a Flipgrid. Where the students can build their stories and build upon their stories until it's a novel or something of that nature.
2: You know, Paul, I like I like that, and and it's 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 uh, it's, it's freakish that we are kind of on the same wavelength because I used to do the emoji thing all the time, not for a project, but just to get that left brain right brain activity working. And so we would I would just do a creative a writing process at the beginning of my class, and I was science, so it really it didn't have to do anything with science. Um, but I used um, these things called Rory Rory Story Cubes, um, and they were actual physical dice that, that you roll, and they all have emojis on it, and then you put them together to create your story. Um, and then um, I had a, a teacher that liked it, and they, they didn't have those cubes, and so I found a, a thing from Eric Kurtz. Um, it's an emoji random generator, and it can go up from from one random emoji up to six, and so the teacher used that one. Um, for that creative writing process. But I think that's amazing because emojis are kind of the world our students live in um, and they understand what they mean. And by stringing them together, they can put together a story. I think that's great. And, and and the way that you're extending on that to where you're connecting it to the video game culture and the recording culture and the creation culture, I, I think is a phenomenal way of getting student engagement, student innovation and student buy-in uh, to your lesson.
0: Yeah, and that's the big one is getting the students to write. And to me, that has been one of the hardest uh, goals is to have the students write and write fluidly and write well. So that's one thing that it's like, you know what, to create that buy-in and create that want and need is that I, I'm adding that Fortnite creative mode in there so they're writing more, they're making their stories more elaborate, they're making it so they're they're more interesting which they want to be picked for the day to, be the, to use for it. I, but then I also say, you know what, you, we also need to work on those uh, speaking standards as well, where, yeah, so they, they can read, they can write, but we also need them to be able to speak well and speak fluently. So by having them record what they're saying and what their story is, even adding characters and bringing in multiple people, that adds that to the next level where a lot of I have fifteen EL students, uh, English language learner students in my classroom, and that's been huge for them. Is just to be able to get their voice out and actually hear the, what they're saying.
2: That that is amazing. I mean, that's key. A lot of people don't don't think of it that way, right? people think, you know, people think, you know, if we just have these, you know, these ESL students just constantly, you know, immersed into the English language, they're gonna they're gonna learn it but they have to be able to speak it and then listen to what they just said to see you know to, to really make those corrections and so so yeah you're 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 right on i i started using uh, actually pushing or encouraging i don't want to say pushing that sounds sounds bad encouraging the use of flipgrid for that exact same reason because they would the teacher would have a, a video prompt the students would have to listen they would record their response to it and before they published that response they would have to listen to it um, and, and and listen to see if it was correct Before they published it, Um, because I think that's a key aspect, listening to what they said so that they can really grasp the language. So I love I love what you're doing.
0: Yeah, you know, and it's a start this year. I I really want to make it and grow it. So, I mean, if anyone has any ideas or suggestions, I'd love to hear and I'd love to try it out.
2: Yeah. And, and, you know, that's, that's the whole purpose of, of this podcast as well is is we, we hope we uh, inspire some teachers to try new things, but we also want to hear the teachers that are listening. We want to hear the amazing things you're doing as well, because I want to learn more. Right. And I, I think that's key to any great educator is, you, you know, you, you know, you don't know everything. And the more the more people you can uh, wrap yourself around uh, to learn from them as well, the better you're, you're going to be. So, yeah, just just like what Paul said, if there's any educators out there listening, which hopefully everybody is, uh, everybody's listening, um, please, you know, shout out to us uh, via Twitter on w- an amazing lesson that you're doing and and share it with the community. And if you could hashtag EdTechArmy Army or tag at Sons Edu. We would love to hear it and love to share that out, um, so that the rest of the uh, the education community can um, just bask in your amazingness. Because every, all of you educators are amazing. Um, so, Paul, thank you for sharing that story. I, I really love it. Um, and and now, Kyle, I want to go to you because you know you you are in um, a, a, a different kind of classroom. You're you're more of a, a special education or push in teacher, and and sometimes that can be difficult to get, um, get those students um, involved in the lesson, to be encouraged by the lesson, to really want to do the lesson. Um, and I know you're great at, at, at getting getting students to want to do the lesson. So I'd love to hear what you have for us this morning.
1: Well, yeah, first, I, I just wanna say I, I've been awful quiet uh, for the first uh, half hour of this uh, so far because I was just so enthralled. So, I mean, I, just, I literally just sat back for this last half hour or so just like you said, basking in the awesomeness uh, between Jesus and Paul's ideas here. It's been absolutely great. So, and, uh, but it, you're right, though. I, I am in a, a unique situation where I don't have my own classroom where I collaborate with my co teachers. Uh, this year I'll be doing world history like I did last year, but then this year I'll also be co teaching economics. And those two classes are, they're, they're subjects that students a lot of times have a hard time grasping and getting interested in, especially students with special needs, which is the students that I work with on a daily basis. So I have to try to think of outside-the-box ways to try to engage kids and come up with different ways to assess kids' learning while we're going through the different things that we're going over in those classes. So, um Some of the ideas that were kind of popping into my head, I had some before we started recording um, when we were talking about like ultimate lessons, greatest lessons we've ever done kind of deal. But Jesus and Paul kind of shifted my thinking while I was listening to them because their ideas are very game-based. And and while I'm not much, I I don't get into the gaming aspect of like creating video games and playing video games kind of deal, but there's definitely been some times in my career where I've implemented some game-like concepts into... Activities that we've done and now it got me thinking about I want to take those ones that I've had in the past and Try to use those in my world history and econ classes now this year So it's not necessarily something that I'm doing right now But it's something from the past that now I'm inspired about that I want to start to kind of shift and I've got two of them here that really kind of popped up over the course of the last half hour or so one of them was when I taught they're both from when I taught us history back in the day One of them was the whole idea of pop culture throughout history and how it still affects us today. And during the 1920s, a lot of the products that we still see today and a lot of the companies that are still around today that are just iconic were all born during the 1920s. And I had this lesson that to to try to engage students more and be more hands-on with it it, it was a game, but it kind of, it, it wasn't a game necessarily. It was, what I would do is I would, I had this stack of cards. It was very low tech. Low tech to no tech is what it was. But I had this stack of cards where I would flash, I would give some clues on a product, a company, whatever it may be. For example, the candy bar baby Ruth. Was one of those I was born in the 1920s. CBS was the 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 broadcast company was born in the 1920s. Um, Disney was born in the 1920s. So you had all these different products, all these different companies born in the 20s. And I had this stack of just literally cardstock images where I would give clues, and then groups of students would have to work together to try to guess what it was. And then if they got they if a group got it right, they buzzed in quote unquote. Then they would get a point for their team. Then they could earn a bonus point by having one of their team members come up and put on a blindfold. And then what I would do is I would show the rest of the class a food item that was born in the 1920s, like baby Ruth. Butterfinger was another one. Um, and, and a lot of other different products. And I would ask the student, well, are you allergic to anything? Because you know, sometimes like a baby Ruth has peanuts in it, so you had to be very careful about it. And then I would hand the student the food, and then they would have to taste it. And then if they were able to guess what it was, then their team got a bonus point. And then we play, We did that. This was a full hour and a half long activity that we did, and the kids really got into it. And then um, what would happen is they would leave the class, and then they would start going and telling their friends. So then... I don't want to say they spoiled it for the classes throughout the rest of the day, but all the kids would come in the rest of the day really amped up, really wondering, "Hey, what are we going to do with this game that I heard all about?" So, and and some of it it was it was a lot of fun because I mean some of it was candy bars, you know, like Baby Ruth and Butterfingers, where it was really easy to where they could pick it up. Some of them were a little bit more obscure, like one of them was uh, a farmer in California somewhere uh, created the boysenberry in the 1920s. And I would feed a student a spoonful of boysenberry preserves. And that one, I think in all the years I did that activity, only one student ever got it. You know, they would guess raspberry, they would guess blackberry, but they never would get boysenberry. Um, the other one that was always a lot of fun too. And I always made sure I had something down on the floor in front of where they were sitting was uh, Gerber baby food. I, I would feed <laughs> a student, a spoonful of Gerber baby food. And, um, what i would do is um i always would give them like the apple one that would taste you know relatively good uh but i would always flash uh like the ground up peas and carrots or like the turkey dinner gerber baby food to the class so all the class would go oh yeah so then that would really freak the kid out a little bit uh so that was always a lot of fun but yeah that one was that that was a fun little game and you know, at the end, you know the prize was, you know, the the joy that we just beat the rest of the class. I didn't have any necessarily any big prize, but the kids really got into that one. No, the other game that I used for several years that the kids really got into was my hook to introduce the Red Scare of the nineteen fifties and the the whole deal with communism during that time period, McCarthyism and whatnot. And this was something, I, I I wish I could remember where I got the idea from and give the person credit, but this was something years ago, I mean, maybe close to 15 years ago I heard about this, where you took index cards and you just wrote the word red on it, you were, or you wrote the word green on it. And I always did like a, for every five green index cards, I would have one red index card. And then what the the premise of the game was every student in the class got one card. They got to look at their card, but they couldn't tell anybody else what was on their card, whether it said green or it said red. Then, without knowing anybody else's cards and what was written on it, they had to come together and form teams. And the idea was the more people that you can get into a group with that has green written on their card you're gonna get points for every person that has that. But if a person with a card that says red on it, quote unquote, infiltrates the team, they're going to steal all the points from everybody else. So if a group was created that had five people and all five were green, then that team's gonna get five points. Everybody in the team gets five points. If somebody is red on that team, four greens to one red, that person with the red card is going to get 4 points and everybody else gets 0 and then i incentivized uh, the groups with extra credit saying um you know the if it whoever gets the points you're going to get that number of extra credit points so the person with that red card was incentivized to get quote unquote, to get 4 extra credit points or if everybody in the group was green everybody would get 5 extra credit points so so the students were really motivated to try to get into a team that was all green. And then if you happened to be a kid with a red, you were really motivated to get into a bigger group to try to steal points from everybody else. So, and the whole idea behind it, going back to the content aspect of it, was that in the 1950s, you had people that they were not communists but were accused of being communists for no reason whatsoever. And the arguments would ensue in the classrooms like, you know what? I think you have a red card right now. Why are you being so nice trying to infiltrate our group right now? You know, you have to be a red and then that person, they could have a green card in their hand. You know, and then the other the other side of it was, you know what, that person looks very trustworthy. They they have to have a green one in their hands when it turns out that they had a red one. And when it came time for the reveal at the end of the game, I, I just remember the, I can't believe this where there was one, one time that had, there was 12 people in the group and everybody in the group had green except for one. And they, and that one red stole the entire group. And I thought a riot was going to ensue (laughs) over it. It was absolutely amazing. And, um, and, and then just the look on that person's face that had the red where just that maniacal, (laughs) you know, that they, they let out afterwards. So, but what it, it really introduced the students to that whole idea that no nobody was safe in the 1950s, where you could just be flat out accused of being a communist, and get arrested, and have your life destroyed for no reason whatsoever. But then there was also the people that apps that were communists working for the Russian government or whatever that were infiltrating different aspects of American society, and they were able to cover it up. And it it really it, it was just a really fun and engaging way to to bring us into that aspect of of the content and the standards uh, for my U.S. history class at that time. So, And it, with both of those games, I still, not necessarily now because I don't live in Las Vegas anymore where I was doing these at, but in the years after I would do that, I would run into students and that was one of the things they remembered. They didn't remember the test. We, we talk about this sometime on this show, you hear it everywhere, is that, you know students aren't going to remember that you finished the textbook or remember that awesome multiple choice test or whatever it's those fun and engaging ones and that was one that came up quite a bit when i would run into former students or i have the former students that have found me on social media and you know every now and then i'll get that message said me, man i remember that activity that we did in your class and and those two activities are ones that come up quite a bit so Um, But after listening to Jesus and Paul talking about their gaming ones, I felt obligated at that point to talk about gaming type activity lessons that I've done in the past. And now, after listening to them and then thinking about the ones I've done in the past, now I'm inspired to try to kind of resurrect those lessons into my econ and my world history classes now. And I'm really excited to try to figure out how I'm going to do that now.
2: Yeah, you know, and listening listening to you, you know, it it embodies the idea that, that learning should be an experience, right? And Dave Burgess wrote about that in, in Teach Like a Pirate. Uh, but, you know, teachers all across the United States for the longest time um, have understood that when you create an experience for the students, it becomes more memorable uh, because they're actually involved in the learning process, not just listening. Um, and so whenever you can create that experience, uh, that memory, they're going to remember. They're going to actually learn the content because you're right. Taking a test isn't an experience, right? It's, it's a thing they have to do. But when they go through a lesson where they're experiencing it, like you're talking about your, your groups, that, that's memorable. That's amazing. And I, I, would, I, would also, I would say it would be amazing if at the end of that, when you're talking about communist infantry in the United States and all that stuff, step back and say, what's happening today that could be similar to that? right is this still happening in a different way um you know because with you know russia jumping on social media all the time you know proclaiming they're americans and pushing these things out that's kind of like the same thing of the russians infiltrating and so it'd be great to see if the kids come up with that oh absolutely
1: and that there was i've always as a social studies teacher i've always tried to make that connection with my students about why we're studying history and the implications that it has on our society today. And that's a great example. If I was doing that lesson today about how now you've got whenever you read one of those social media posts that just sounds just absolutely out in left field regarding some political figure or whatever about taking that with a grain of salt. And we had that a while back on our uh, on an episode where we talked a lot about this, but but how that is very similar to the Red Scare of the 1950s or going back even further the red scare of the late 1910s into the 1920s where you had incidents like the palmer raids where immigrants were arrested simply for their political beliefs uh, yep. during that time after after a mail bomb went off so so di- different aspects of that so well and then one other one I just I just want to throw it in real quick I won't go into great detail on it but another one it wasn't a game but another way to um to get to students hooked up into lesson was when i was teaching us government long time ago years ago freedom of religion was always well the first amendment in general was always one of the students favorites in regards to the content that we were going over and the implications on today and their personal lives whatever so but when it came to freedom of religion what i would do is i created like this fake religion that was based off my name and i can't remember exactly what i called it But the whole idea was when I I, the students would come in and I would tell them that from the for the rest of the year every day at the beginning of class we would recite this quote unquote prayer that was based off of my name so and the whole idea was that at first you you had students that they they would have that look on their face like wait a minute he can't force us to do any sort of prayer. And we know it's a fake thing, Eh, whatever. But they kind of went along with it because I told them, well, your grade's based on it. If you don't do it, you're not going to do it. But the the real kicker was I would set it up ahead of time with one student and tell them, hey, listen, this is what we're going to do in class. Don't tell anybody. But when I start doing this, refuse to do it and then argue with me about it. And then we're going to do this. I'm going to make this big deal out of it, pull you out in the hallway, talk to you and really what we're gonna do is we're gonna laugh cause we just punked the class or whatever. Then we'll come back in and tell everybody, oh, we set you up, or whatever. And then that's when I would go into the lesson on freedom of religion and how no, I can't do something like that. And my my absolute favorite one, I, I set it up with a student one time and he took it next level. Like he chucked a chair halfway across the room and he didn't he didn't curse me out, but he he was screaming at me and pointing at me and whatever. And the students were legit scared. It was hilarious. I took them out in the hallway and like, I don't even know how I kept the straight face and then we brought them back in and <laughs> yeah, it was it was a lot of fun so but yeah, I mean just games are a great way to hook kids, but just something ridiculous like that where I created a fake religion and set up a group of 30 students and basically punk them essentially. You know, that, it was a great hook too. And that's another one where those former students to this day, if they, if I see them or if they contact me, whatever, man, I remember when we did that religion thing and it was hilarious and, and they remember it.
2: Now that's, that's great. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Jesus. Well, Kyle,
3: um, you know, you, you mentioned like, like if you're pulling a prank on them, but I think what you're teaching them is, um, not that they should question authority, but I think, you know, we know, okay, this is what's best for us. Okay. And then when it starts to smell funky, it's like, okay, wait, what? Why, why are we doing this at this site or at this other job I had? Okay. This changed. Um, I think you're showing them at a really young age that, you know what, that person, you know, in charge, that person of authority is not going to be right or have your best interests in mind all the time. If they do, that's awesome. You know, stay working there, stay at that school or that college. But I think you gave them that first taste of something that I think it, it's it's something that we, some people probably never, ever really address or, or have that courage because they're like, oh, well, well, I'm just, you know, this is the best I can do with this job. I'm not going to question anything because what if they fire me or, or whatever. But I think you already gave them that, that taste of like, look, you know how many of you I don't know if you polled them but you could ask them how many of you were like you know why are we doing this and why didn't you speak up i mean i think it could lead to an awesome discussion where they understand look these
1: people are in charge of you but
3: you have that freedom to question this
1: absolutely and and we did we we did have that short discussion i i would introduce the, the first amendment freedom of religion and how one aspect of that is that the government cannot establish religion and force people to follow a certain thing. And that, that would lead to discussion. So how many of you, when I walked in and, and started this, how many of you just kind of like, you're like, Oh, whatever, I don't care. I'm just going to do it, whatever. But other of you were a little uncomfortable at first. And so like, what, why are we doing this? But we're afraid to question it. And most of the hands would have like, no, i I'm, like you're an authority figure, I'm not going to question you on that. And you're absolutely right. I hope that inspired kids later on, when, in their job, in their post-secondary educational experience or whatever, if they felt something was unjust, I hope that inspired them to question it a little bit.
2: the The idea of questioning a teacher seems odd to a student, but it's 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 essential. Right? And and you know at, when I was teaching science, I would tell the students, I go, listen, I go, if you disagree with something that I say, if you disagree with a point that science is making, I go, by all means you have the right to disagree with it, uh, but you have to do it off of a factual basis. So go do research, find out you know a, a, a counterpoint to it, and then explain why you disagree with it. You can't just say that doesn't sound right to me right like a, like a lot of people do uh, in, in, in today's culture, if they don't agree with something science, says, they go, I don't agree with it, that's my my opinion, is, but they're not showing any facts behind it. And so by having kids able to uh, fact check a professor, it really helps them understand where the facts come from, and how to retort um, uh, or or have a comeback to what a teacher is saying. So I think that's incredibly important. Um, And Kyle, I wanted to say to you as well that um, in your econ class, I think stocks can be very important right because that's a game in itself and that's, that seems to be a huge culture uh, or a huge part of the American economic system. Um, and so I actually shared with you a document of a, of a copy of, of an activity the kids can do where the kids can you can, you can give the kids you know fake $10,000 and they have to go and choose stocks and buy as many stocks as they can with that money. and it actually shows in a Google sheet real-time changes in the stock market and then every week you can have them sell off. Um, and to try to you know increase their portfolio and that could be like a long game experience right and at the end of the year whoever made whoever took their ten thousand dollars and made the most money off of it you know can get a prize or something but um, I think that stock market idea is incredibly important because I wish I was taught that in high school on how to how to work stocks and what stocks really meant Um, so I'd love to hear your feedback from it if you take a look at that document and if you decide to use something like that but to to me, I think I think knowing the stock market, knowing how it works, and knowing how you can win or lose money can be incredibly important to a high school uh, high school student. I'm you definitely know.
1: going to look at that document, but um, great minds certainly think alike because my co teacher and I last spring in planning for this year already talked about a stock market simulation like that. So I'm interested to see the one that you have just to see like where ours is at and compare and contrast and steal borrow and um implement and all that good stuff so uh definitely going to check that out thank you
2: you got it absolutely it's 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 fun um and and all the formulas are already in there and 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 all that good stuff so uh by all means if you uh if you like it use it because i didn't create it (laughs) so somebody else did out there so they they shared it with us so you, you know you use it and share it with as many people as you want um so it, it's come time for my, my lesson. And, you know, there's, as with everybody here, there's so many to choose from. Um, and, and I actually want to give a shout out to, uh, to Matt Miller, um, the uh, creator of Ditch That Textbook. He just came out with a new book um, with the Ridgeways called uh, Don't Ditch That Tech. And one of my lessons is featured in that book as well, page 98 up to page 103. Um, so if you have not bought that book or read that book, please take a look at it. And then, you know, let me let me know what you think about uh, the lesson that I put in there. Um, but for today's episode, I wanted to share a lesson with you um, that that I'm proud of um, because I kind of took the idea in a different way than my school wanted me to. So in, in our in our class, we were supposed to do a report uh, on on one of our uh, contents. So, you know, we can do a, a uh, an element report where they had to research an element. So they, they can do a planet report um, and Personally, when when I in science when I'm thinking of reports, kids really don't want to do it. Um, they just do it because they have to. They don't really get a lot out of it. There's really no discussion between students on what did you write versus what did you write. So I wanted to change it up. Keep the learning outcomes. Uh, they had to learn the key points of the planet, uh, the good, the bad, all that stuff. Uh, but I wanted to do it in a different way. And so what I came up with with was a um, a planet commercial. So the students working in groups of three, they chose a planet um, or a space object, and they had to do research on it. And in that research, they had to think of, um, how, I'm going to create a planet commercial as a vacation, and I, I, want, to, I want to entice people to visit my object, um, so I have to take all the good things and make it sound super good. And then I even told them, I want you to take even the bad things and, and, and turn it to make it sound good. And I gave them the example of like, you know, if you're standing next to the sun, you're going to get incinerated quickly. But instead of saying that, say, hey, come to the sun. You'll get a suntan in seconds, right? So it sounds different. And so what I had them do is before doing this lesson, I had them watch 70s car salesman commercials off of YouTube. I had them watch um, the log commercial from the Ren and Stimpy show on how to sell a crazy product. And then the kids had to come together, do the research as a group, and then write a script um, that would last a minute and a half for their planet. And they had to say, why come to my planet? Why, here's all the good things. Here's where it's located. Um, here's what makes it different from the other planets. Um, and then I said, um, halfway through, I said, oh, and also in your commercial, if you want to diss other planets, you may, but you it had, the diss has to be factually based. And so the students started researching all the planets, not just their own. And so what we did was we then took that script. And, the, and so this was uh, one day, a whole one day is where they researched, they wrote their script, and they storyboarded out what they wanted to do in the commercial. And the next day they came in, I moved every desk off to the side. I put up a green screen with the green screen lights, and I had the iPad with do ink all ready to go and it looked like a recording studio. And the kids came in and, what are we doing? And a lot of these kids had never done a green screen before. I said, okay, what you're gonna do now, since you have your script and you have everything um, planned out, you're now gonna create a background in Google Google Draw. You're gonna create a background for your planet and then now you're gonna record your commercial in front of this green screen. And so they recorded it. Um, We only had one iPad and so, what we had to do was at the end of every recording, they uploaded the video that they did off doing to a shared folder for their period. And they just grabbed it out of that shared folder and then they uploaded the video to Flipgrid. So by the end of the lesson, we had all 12 commercials, all in a Flipgrid and all the students pitching why they should come to the planet um, and then why they shouldn't visit the other planets and they would ditch the other planets and they all had to watch each other's videos and then say two things they did well and one thing they should change the next time. And those kids came out of that lesson, and it did take a week. They came out of that lesson knowing the planets backwards and forwards, the distances between each other, the similarities to each other, more than if they just did a singular report all by themselves. And the big win for this was that I, I had a, a class um called the I lead class. Um, it was a class um, for science of all the seventh grade students that got an F in seventh grade science, they put them in this class for my eighth grade class. And they called it the I lead class. And these students ate this lesson up. They had no, they'd never, they'd never played with an iPad before. They'd never played with a green screen before. They'd never recorded themselves on a green screen before. And they thought this was the greatest lesson in the world because they got to do something new and they got to be the creators of that content. And so I, I consistently did that lesson year after year, and it always went off well with the students. And once again, I focused on the learning outcomes. So they still had the same learning outcomes and expectations that I would have had if I had them write a paper. But it was an experience, and it was different, and the kids loved it. And I loved seeing what they came up with. And kids were coming in with props. They were coming in with um, fog machines. It was amazing what they did. They, one kid did a fishing line. And they created like this pulley system where like a, 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 a space rock went over their heads and another person was pulling it down. And they did all this on their own. And so they just went really into the creation of their commercial. And I absolutely loved uh, the products that came out of it. Um, and so that that's one lesson that I love to share because I just love to show to science teachers. You can still have the writing process in place, but it doesn't necessarily have to be a report writing project. It can be a script, and then you add the video content into it. Um, so that's what I love to do, and that's the one I wanted to showcase because I'm just really proud of what my students were able to present and how they really took hold of the lesson all on their own.
1: Yeah, once again, I mean, it really boils down to if you can hook the kids and engage them, you know, you're going to get – exponential results from that versus just that standard report writing whatever and you know and my special education teacher mind listening to your lesson right there is that that's something that's absolutely perfect for students that struggle with reading and writing to where again they're, they're going to work on the writing skills and the reading skills in that lesson but they're going to be able to showcase their learning in a way that is going to be a lot more engaging for them because now they don't have to worry about well, I I'm not a very strong writer, so I'm not going to put much effort into this now because I'm probably just going to fail anyway.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, and 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 the whole idea of the of the discovery process, uh, the creation process, um, that really helps retention and knowledge, right? So they're not just learning it; they're understanding it, and that's incredibly important. Um, especially in science, because a lot of these concepts are conceptual, like the idea of atoms, right? The idea of atoms, that it's the smallest form of matter, and with our eyes, we can't see it, but when they're built upon each other, they create things. That's very conceptual to a student, and so I actually did a lesson, uh, it, and this was a two-day lesson, it took took long, on the on the inception of the idea of the atom, all the way through the creation of the periodic table, and then all the way through the creation of compounds. And then we we, we did a future lesson of now you're a, a scientist trying to create a compound, make a compound. And it was all based upon in, invisible. Uh, it, it, it was called an invisible box and Legos. And so I would hand a kid a box. Um, so actually it wasn't a box. It was the old school um, uh, film canisters. You guys remember those? The black one with the uh, the gray top. Yes. Um the, the kids had no idea what those were when I handed them out. But I would hand out this canister, and they couldn't touch it. All they can do is see it, and they can know it's there. Um, and they had to explain to me what was inside without touching it and moving it. And they're like, well, we can't do that. I go, well, Democritus did that with atoms. He said that there has to be a smallest form of matter. Um, if you cut something over and over and over again, there has to be an end to it. There has to be a, a, a terminus to it, and he called that a tomos. And he came up with the term atoms that we, that is the smallest form of matter. And everybody laughed at him because they couldn't see it. I go, but if you know what something is in there and you're trying to explain it to somebody else, how are you going to do it? They're like, it's impossible. I go, that's the struggle that scientists had when they're discovering atoms. You can't prove it yet, but you, you know, it's there but, and, and you can't, and you, you can't get people to buy in. That's the struggle with some scientists is that they know for a fact that something is there, but it's hard for them to explain it. And then, then they got to shake it. And listen, oh, it's something is in there. And I go, that's that's like Dalton, you know, finally proving something's there. But now you can't really tell them what it looks like. And then you then you open it up. You take a quick peek. That's like J.J. Thompson um, being able to discover the different parts of the atom. And so we went through the entire process of the discovery of it just with a Lego and a film canister. And then they had to um, draw. Then they had to look at the Lego and the uh, the Lego pegs. I forget what you call those, the little, the little notches that are on the legos they counted those and those were the protons because protons are what give the atomic number to an element and so they had to come up with a name of the element they had to come up with a symbol it was an amazing thing and we created this thing called the lego periodic table where all the kids when they discovered a new element they put their symbol and all that stuff in there and then they ended up creating something with legos and had to describe it in uh in uh, atomic script and the kids knew the entire process by the end because they got to physically do it and explain it and group collaborate. Um, and so I, I, don't, I it's very hard to explain uh, just through voice. You'd have to see the visuals of it. But I was really proud of that lesson as well, because teaching atoms is difficult, but kids know what Legos are. And so when they understand that each Lego is specific and each Lego connects to another Lego, which can build something different, they finally started understanding the term atoms and and didn't just see it as a vocabulary word. They saw it as a physical thing that can build other things. And so that lesson, the periodic table table of Legos, um, was also a great discovery lesson that I love to do every single year uh, to really get the students involved and understand um, the atomic process.
1: Wow, that um, we've been doing this now for an hour and at this point, if you're not inspired by some of these lessons that have been presented over this hour, then I think we need to talk uh, on a one-on-one basis and try to figure out ways to get you motivated because I'm absolutely just blown away right now and just ready to hit the ground running when I get back in the classroom with students here very quickly.
2: Yeah, and, and we we, we appreciate um, all of our listeners. We, we appreciate every single one of our teachers that are listening. We appreciate every single one of you. And, and Paul, thank you so much for joining us today. Hopefully, this is the first of many episodes that you can join us on. Um, we, we just appreciate you taking the time uh, to come out here and, and share your love and passion for education, share your love and passion for students, and just share the knowledge that you have um, and, and, and what you're doing with that knowledge to really engage students in the classroom. So I just want to reach out and say, Paul, thank you so much for joining us this morning.
0: Hey, I appreciate being here. I was listening the whole time, and I'm like, whoa, this is so much, and like, you guys are working at a total different secondary uh, level. But I'm like, these are concepts that can be applied to no matter what level you're teaching or what type of classroom you're teaching. They're good classroom practices, and the major theme was really engage, student engagement
2: which is huge. And that's yes. what it's all about. That's what it's all about. Creating that experience for the students, making sure they are completely learning uh, the the processes in the classroom, not just memorizing. And that experience is what creates that learning. Um, and, and so, Kyle, as you said, we are over an hour. And so if you are still listening to us at this moment, thank you. Thank you so much. Sometimes we, we, we get into these podcasts and we go, man, I think we're going to be able to fit um, fit everything into a half an hour. And then somehow an hour goes by, we're like, wow, we can do a whole nother hour on this. So, you know, th- thank you to our listeners um, for, for allowing us to be a part of, of your car ride to work or your car ride home or part of your um, you know, setting up your classroom uh, or after school. Thank you so much for just allowing us to be a part of your PLN. But as always, what we, Kyle, Kyle and I always say, just thank you so much for changing the world. Because that's what educators are doing, right? We're, we're not just doing this for the paycheck, right? We're, we're doing this because we have a passion to change the world. And, and we, we know that you know, government tries to, to make laws and, and pass things from the top down. But we truly know the only way that we can change this country and, and, and to create great citizens is from the bottom up. And, and, and you are the force that are doing that. You are creating great students, you're creating analytical thinkers, you're creating people that are great communicators and collaborators and innovators. You are the ones who are changing the world. And so, I just want to say thank you from the bottom of my heart for everything that you do for society, for our kids, and just making this planet a better place because knowledge is power. And one of my students, used to say, you know, Mr. Marquez, you know, education is really the greatest tool that we can use to better ourselves. And I said, you are absolutely right. Education is the most powerful tool. And so as soon as our students understand that learning can be fun, that learning can be engaging, that learning can be meaningful to them, the sooner they understand that, the sooner they buy into education and the sooner they buy into bettering themselves, which will better society. So thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for being a part of the EdTech Army. And thank you so much for joining us around our Sons of Technology Clubhouse today. And thank you so much for being you. And as always, keep on trying, ditch that fear, and keep on innovating. Thank you so much, and we'll see you next time.